haven't got a union My co-workers suffer silently Some get revenge by stealing from the stock Mine comes after lunchtime I clock in, hit the lavatory Sit on the toilet, give the door a lock Pooping on the clock Pooping on the clock Pooping on the clock Pooping on the clock Howdy folks, uh, how's it going? Welcome to the Garrett Schalke Podcast. I am your host, your boy, Garrett Schalke. And uh, Micah, uh, today we are uh, out of town on the farm. In, on the farm. Uh, yep, here in Hastings, Michigan. Uh, my guest today is a Quaker farmer, activist, substance abuse therapist. And uh, please correct me if I'm, uh, if I'm wrong about this. You're a minister at the Common Spirit Church of the Brethren in Grand Rapids. No, no, not anymore. That was when, <sighs> when I was, uh, I was a, a minister uh, with the Brethren when I went to Flint. My son and I went out to do uh, to help out with the water crisis there, and so I did it under the auspices of the Brethren Church, uh, and uh, that's where that comes from. Uh, my mistake. I'm sorry. No, it's not a mistake. I think it's up on. It's up and around somewhere. Because <laughs> I did a, a lot of writing for uh, th their denominational journal too, yep. and things like that. Yeah. Someday, someday I will have the perfect intro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, buddy. Uh, and uh, he's whoa, buddy. <laughs> sorry, folks. Uh, our our guest dogs very much like me, which is awesome. Good boy, Sam. Yeah, it's good. I like it when dogs like me. But uh, it's going to be pretty bad if they knock over this expensive recording equipment. <laughs> All right. So uh, he is the author of The Gospel of the Absurd and one of the folks that heads the Sandhill Project, a Quaker farming community experience, which is the main topic of today's interview. Uh, folks, let's welcome Scott Miller. Hi again. Yeah, Scott. Uh, thanks for having me out, dude. Thanks for coming. We always like to have people out. Yep, and uh, yeah, we finally met after uh, many years. It's, it's been a while, hasn't it? You made it, though. Yep, indeed I did on this uh, beautiful Saturday morning here in Michigan. Uh, okay, that's an exaggeration. It's pretty dreary in the 30s. <laughs> we had sun yesterday, though. Yeah, we did. That'll, that'll be good enough for another month. Well... Well, it's going to get better. It's supposed to be in the 50s or something. Yeah. Week. Totally normal weather happened in February. Yeah, uh, Scott, how's it been going, dude? Not bad. The farm is looking to get back up to full capacity, and I'm doing substance abuse work to help uh, fund the farm because we've got uh, some folks that are a little bit more able than me. I, uh did you know they're doing farm work is, is fairly difficult if not labor intensive and there's a lot of lifting and a lot of walking and getting up and down so uh you know my body because of the way i treated it when i lived in detroit i was homeless for a couple of years and and uh smoking crack too much um 
you know, I, I went through some stuff there that took a toll on my body that's catching up to me a little early in life. I'm 56 now, and some things don't work like they should. So we get help on the farm, and I contribute that to that by going out and working full-time. And uh, we live with a family, uh, and I call it anarchism. They call it mutual aid, and so it can be whatever you want it to be. Uh, you could say that they're mutually exclusive. <laughs> uh, see, see what I did there? Yeah, I saw that. I'll be here all week, folks. <laughs> he's got, a, he's got an, an evening show, too. Uh, no, not that, but I do have two other podcasts. So, you know, close enough. All right, so uh, how about we just dig right into the main topic of what I wanted to talk, talk okay, to you about today. Sure. The Sand Hill Project. Yep. Yep. Uh, when and uh, how did Sand Hill begin? Well, when uh, my wife and I had talked about Jen, she's a midwife, and we had talked about farming as a way of raising our kids for quite some time. And so we started out with chickens back when we lived in Cannonsburg. And then we lived at Wellhouse while I did my bachelor's uh, work. And when we moved to Ohio, we said we were going to try uh, farming at some sort of larger scale. So we did got a lot of chickens and we raised hogs. And we did pretty good at that. So after I was done at Earlham, we came back and moved to Shelbyville on acreage and started Sand Hill as... Uh, as a means of feeding ourselves, teaching our children about uh, being connected more naturally, and because uh, we're supposed to work so others can eat, and that's a big part of the farm too. Uh, how about the name Sandhill Project? Uh... Yep, the sand. It used to be Sandhill CSA Community Support Agriculture, and Sandhill is because uh, down here. Um, on the land, on, on, in these spaces that were stolen, uh, the Sandhill uh, population, Sandhill cranes, is really high. And uh, those birds were sacred to the people that first lived here. And to see them come back each spring uh, is just kind of a, a big deal for us. And fortunately enough, when we moved here, we found that we usually have two or three uh cranes that are partnered and uh so we see them all summer and so when we moved it didn't impact the name at all other than when we began to call it a quaker project it became less about educating us and educating other people uh about farming but also giving people a chance to reconnect humans spend so much time trying to make their life easier that at some point they stop being uh, we talked about, we kind of talked about it with the weather, but are there any uh, cranes out there right now? Not yet. March, I'm thinking. Usually they come by by March, and then they'll, there'll be another snow, and they make it through that. And uh, they left late this year. I don't think they left until November. So Actually, I think I saw some or something that looks like it on my way here. You, at, uh, you might have. Recently. Some might have come back early, but with the warm weather, it, you know, it occurs to me that some might not have left. <laughs> they just wintered through. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So. All right. So uh, 
what are the what are some of the core values and the overall mission of the project? Um, so egalitarianism, uh, the attempt to practice nonviolence, um, paying uh, reparations to uh, the descendants of enslaved peoples. Um, providing food, good food for people who can't otherwise afford, you know, you, you go buy something labeled organic and it's mostly priced too high. Whole foods is priced too high. Mm. And some people, you know, um, they don't have the means to get to poor food or to good food. So we're able to provide for them. And we were selling shares in the farm to make that happen. Uh, so the you know that's the mission, and there's really not a it's only there's only the spiritual or religious aspect for Jen and I. Uh, Sean and Hannah aren't Quakers, and there's not many Quakers involved in this. But we do uh, the community knows who we are, and they can identify us through the plain clothes. We're some of the few Quakers that still wear plain clothes. <laughs> Um, education is another value, um, alternative economics, uh, economics of justice. I could go on. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, how about, yeah. How about we talk about the farm itself? Uh, how big, I guess say is the farm or the project? Only 13 acres. So we have to buy hay. Um, we use as little grain as possible, usually just for when we milk. Um, so on 13 acres, we've got eight cows and two heifers. Um, we've got six sheep right now who are in March will be birthing, if not late February. I don't know how many chickens we have. We've got two hogs right now that are going to be butchered at the end of the month and uh we got turkeys out there some ducks we'll order broiler uh chicken soon um and we have raw milk and butter and stuff huh what what was the farm like at the very beginning like you remember how it was made up then oh we were just making it up as we went along i was a city boy <laughs> right so i mean feeding the pigs was uh, uh keeping pigs was the first part because they tend to get out when they want so you learn something with uh each each new kind each new round of uh feeder pigs that we get we always learn something new about how they can escape they're not quite as good as goats but they're <laughs> uh they ain't them ever escaping go feral the pigs? Yeah. Uh, we try. We would try and get them back with grain if we can find them. Mm-hmm. But if if they escape um, and go feral, they're they're just fair game for whoever's out there uh, in Michigan and especially around here because of the crop damage they can do to crops or gardens and stuff. Uh, that's kind of a shoot on sight thing. But oh. there's feral pigs all over these, you know, Michigan because they can get away, and once you can't find them. Yeah, I mostly hear about them in Texas. Okay. Yeah, you ever, hey, actually, uh, I think it was on the, either National Geographic or History, because, of course, those stations have these programs. Uh-huh. Just had, like, 
a big long special about hunting feral pigs. Hunting feral pigs. Yeah. Yeah, it it was enough of a problem that the the state um and this state and a few others said that there's no limits on there's nothing no uh criminal penalty or otherwise for harvesting a, a feral hog. Yeah. So uh, what makes up the project besides, you know, the physical farm? So we've got a cultural aspect, um, and we haven't done a lot around here where I was hoping to try and develop a, um, a May Day celebration, and I don't know if that'll happen. But as far as the cultural aspect, we've taken the farm and its food uh, to Kalamazoo to promote punk shows and... Uh, through the reparations, I'll uh, provide a hog or some chickens to a barbecue there in uh, in Kalamazoo, and then they can make money from sales as well. And we have a bunch of punk bands and an uh, offshoot. Oh, uh, we will actually be getting to that. <laughs> as an yeah. offshoot of, pro- of the Sandhill Project, I've helped a group of Kalamazoo punks that are my age. Um, we're doing a non. We're forming a nonprofit to help uh, youth and people who are are um, don't have the resources to uh, do it yourself. You know, do a do it yourself band, or uh, they've just been bullied and don't have that kind of confidence. So we we provide practice space, a drum kit, uh, all sorts of things, including some counseling for because you know. It, there's a lot of punks out there that are under the age of 18 that are couch surfing or something else. So what this starts out as is providing food for people in the city and then also participating in some of that urban culture. All right. You already mentioned that people have purchased shares on the farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, uh, what, what, uh, professional connections does the farm have? Like say with different organizations or groups no, we wouldn't. Nope. Oh. Uh, Quakers, uh, John and I are Quakers, and I'm an anarchist. She's a midwife, and I, right? John's politics are her own. Uh, but, you know, we're independent of anything that would restrict us expressing ourselves within. You know, it's very unusual for anarchists to be Christians. Well, uh, there is a sect called Christian Anarchism. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, and if people are like, what kind, <laughs> who is this clown that's, that still believes in, you know, fairy tales? It's, it's, it's a little, it's a little more nuanced than that. And um, there's also some benefit to having a storyline that you can be part of that has a hopeful ending. And I think anarchism and uh, Christianity, and uh, if, it's, if it's interpreted correctly, both lead to a hopeful ending. Hmm. All right. So, uh, so, is that, so that, does that mean you, uh, you don't have any connections with, like, other farms around the area? Nope. Or uh, even that have, say, the same ideology or goals as you do no okay completely we talked to neighbor farmer charlie he's got a lot of good advice because he used to be a dairy farmer 
There's a neighbor around the corner, Jean Ann, and she's really helped the farm. See, these are neighbor connections. Um, that, because farms in another town or farms in another state, um, while it's good to connect, and I'm not against that at all, and I'll interact with anyone, and I'll work with most anyone, right? But uh, mostly we're trying to figure out how to be neighbors to Barry County, which is full of Trump voters. And, oh, I know. And, I've, and, I've passed by quite a couple of them on my way. Yeah, and, and so, it, you know, to live in a space where... Um, people are openly expressing white supremacist views is something that as Quakers we need to we need to address and one of the farm's missions in the next few years is to write a history of friends up here during the Underground Railroad uh, hold on a sec okay heard some cracking there I Cannot mess up this recording. <laughs> we only get one shot here, buddy. <laughs> All right, so actually, Skip had a question there. What has the reception for the farm been in the local community here? Uh, entirely positive. We've not had, other than, you know, f fencing optional. We could never keep the fencing going. Mm -hmm. uh, so our cows might end up over at the neighbor's or... Right, the chickens might go on the road because we let them free range. There's nothing keeping them around. And sometimes the pigs escape. That doesn't happen much anymore. Sometimes the sheep will all get out and the whole herd will be running around the neighbor's house and then out in the street. Um, so when I say fencing optional, it's not because we're not trying, uh, but we are lazy farmers. And so we found out that if you just put a round bale everywhere on the farm, they don't need to leave the farm when they get out of the fencing. They'll just stop and eat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's one way to go. Well, right. Yeah, so uh, what about a daily life here on the farm? Uh, how many people can uh, work and reside here at one time? Well, we've, we've got another family, and so that would be it for now um and then you know people can live in hastings or they can just simply take advantage of the farm by coming out and working doing some work and taking some food back with them uh we'll teach them how to milk they can do the feeding chores and watering so anyone's invited if they want to work or learn we've had a number of people come over and watch us uh slaughter and butcher hogs and sheep and so, you know, being part of the farm is, is being a learner, um, teaching things. And someday we'd like to have enough space where there could be more people invested. But, you know, that's someday. Yeah, so uh, how has uh, the farm, like, really evolved since its uh, inception? Um a lot more animals, a lot more kinds of meat and adding milk and a lot more eggs. We're able to distribute a lot more food. Um, but it's also progressed because it's now that the kids are grown, it's not so much a family thing as we try to make it really a community endeavor. 
And I think once people get here, some people take right to farming, like they like it and they like the animals. And other people were really not aware of the amount of excrement that livestock leaves. And they just kind of, are they, just right? Completely they, shocked. When they they are. <laughs> Especially this time of year, right? When mud and stuff builds up on the cows. And they're like, why are they so dirty? It's like, they're cows. <laughs> they don't take showers, right? That fur all falls off in the spring and they look great and smiley. But this is winter and they look nasty. Yeah, uh, you, <laughs> God, where's Hercules when you need him? <laughs> okay, for people who don't know, that's a joke there on one of the labors Hercules did, one of which was uh, cleaning out a filthy barn, and he had to divert a river to clean it all out. <laughs> no, really think it. Okay, so uh, along with that uh, evolution, do you have a uh, particular memories or moments from the farm that really stick out to you or that are particularly important? Um, it's become such a part of the daily life that it's, and it's a part of us that it, I don't know if I experience it anymore as something other than just part of daily life. Oh, okay. It's, you know, I can think of uh, all sorts of stories related to farming, but, you know, as far as significance, I think the biggest thing that I've learned in making this part of, part of my life is that I can make mistakes and not call myself a failure. I can say, I failed at this, and I can do it again, and I can become competent. And for me, that was a big change in my life, was realizing that I could make mistakes and things would turn out all right. Because <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing here, right? We, we were reinventing the wheel and asking for help. And that's what my wife says, that the toughest part of this whole project is constantly reinventing what's already been done and we just don't know where the information is. But you're still constantly learning, which... We're always learning. We are always learning around here. Hmm. All right, so uh, what are the future plans for... Actually, actually no. I, I did not write this down because I just thought about it. But uh, you mentioned the type of people that have come to uh, you know, visit the farm, to learn from the farm. Have you uh, ever had any people who are woofers? Who? Woofers. Roofers? Woofers. No. W-W-O-F. It's basically, uh, people, no. it's basically people who travel and they work, work on various farms around right. the world, organic farms, stuff like we that. We have had people uh, that have lived with us for nine months to a year to work on the farm because they wanted that experience. There was a young woman um, from Minnesota. Mm -hmm. uh, and she was here for a while and helped with the farm, and she was just great. Uh, there was a young brethren woman who became a doctor. She lived with us um, for quite some time when we were over in Shelbyville. And uh, then we had uh, somebody from down near Adrian 
who uh, came up and stayed with us before he got a great gig as a city manager, city planner for uh, Sitka, Alaska. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we've done that. And usually, though, they're recommended by uh, Quakers that I know, and they meet people that are looking for a gig like that. And, and so they're recommended. And sure, anybody's welcome, as long as we have space. Yeah, geez. Wolfing is something that I still have a, a slight interest in. I almost tried to become one back in my early 20s. What's that, Quaker? No, no, wolfing. Oh. <laughs> oh no, no. <laughs> I'm way too much of a degenerate. To <laughs> well. <laughs> but I got talked out of it from some friends who were like, dude, it's actually really hard work. You just... Yeah. Uh, Trapes around Europe going to farm to farm. Yeah, and it's not, right? It, depending on how you feel about economics, it... Oh, yeah, I couldn't afford I couldn't afford that travel either. <laughs> uh, and you don't make enough for a living wage. If you, I mean, farmers are notoriously uh, low-paying. They pay low wages because the margins are... Most farms now are losing money. Um, and kids don't want to, you know, carry on. And I think it's interesting that people are traveling around working at different farms. And, and this isn't a criticism. I think that's great. Uh, but people really aren't interested in farming. They just aren't that interested in, I guess, that kind of work. My kids certainly aren't. You know, they... They had to do chores as their whole lives until right they got to an age where they could work on their own. They don't like the work, <laughs> so um, that's why we got so much land that could produce food being used either for uh, fuel, like power production, uh, solar solar farms, oh, or new housing <clears throat> developments. Oh, it's funny you should mention solar power. Because uh, on my way here, besides uh, Trump signs and the occasional Confederate <laughs> Stars flag. Stars and bars, right? And the occasional Confederate flag. Yeah. I did see a big sign in someone's yard that just said, stop solar farming. Right. <laughs> uh, that's, you know, that's tied up in, in people hate change. Right? They, yeah. they just, any change that, like, that includes something that, is so different that it threatens the way they think about cars and travel oh, and, and heating. Just, and just, like, and just lies. They about. think that when there's clouds that your power runs out. It's like, that's yeah. just not the case. Yeah, well, First yeah. of all. Tell, tell me, Scott, what will, what will you do if you have a wind farm, but there's no wind? <laughs> you know, wind, so, wind, a thing that just stops on a dog. Actually, the the uh, the windmills don't bother me so much because they don't take as up as much of uh, of the land that's either tillable or workable for small families, and that bothers me when you like see solar energy. There's um, something to be said for solar energy, and I'm not against that. But when you start using productive land that could be given to people. 
to experience farming or generate a different kind of economy. Uh, right, we're, that means we're consuming too much. As soon as you use land that's good for food or adequate for living and learning and becoming part of the world around you as opposed to trying to escape the hardest parts of it. Um, you know, solar energy is good, but I, I think tillable land and those human experiences are more important. And I hate to see land used for energy when it can be used for food in a place that consumes so much energy um, it, without any shame. Yeah. Uh, oh, you may get a kick out of this. In uh, 2019, I uh, <sighs> took part in both the protests and just went there to observe Trump's uh, fascist rally in Grand Rapids. Yeah. You know, he was at Van Andel Arena, which, yeah. Okay. yeah, that was the event, too, notably that he claimed that uh, wind power, windmills, wind power gave you cancer. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since then. All right. Ever right. since then, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't even know. I think that people just don't want to see windmills, but... You know, I, it always surprises me when people say, like, when they want to put them out in the lake. People say, well, I spent such and such amount of money to have a view of the lake, and now I'm going to see these windmills. And it's like, do you know what they've done to mountains in oh, yeah. West Virginia and oh, Kentucky? Yeah. They've they blown straight up, like out of the It's just, it, they just stripped the land. It. it and, and I've driven through there because I'm very fond of the town of Maitwan. And, uh, you know, you drive through, they just slice off the tops of mountains. And then the water that they use and contaminated with oil and other kinds of fuel and everything goes right into the water stream. And those people will vote for Trump because they're afraid that, right, what are we going to do if we don't have jobs? Because we've become so individualized that we actually believe that, right, we can't survive without a good job or meet our goals when all you're doing is working for someone else who makes a ton of money, ruins the land around you, and won't let you access tillable land because it belongs to the corporation and they're going to mine that someday. Yeah, geez, you know, one of my more pessimistic takes, which is mostly environmental, is uh, just the acceptance of, you know, Fracking and oil pipelines. Oklahoma Jeez. City just had a 5.1 earthquake, I read. Yeah. Like, yeah, like you said, people whine about, you know, a windmill out in the middle of the lake, but no they, problem. They have not been to West Virginia. No no problem turning their backyard right. to Mordor. And my, pe my peoples were Harlan County uh, union men, and then they, when they were politely asked to leave Harlan County back in the 20s, uh, late 20s, they came up to Flint and were part of the sit-down strike. Uh, so, you know, I, I, was, I was raised by those people, and they did very well making a real good wage, and then all of a sudden, you know, because they used to hire family right in, suddenly they stopped. And my dad couldn't go to Vietnam because he had epilepsy, so he's the first guy that didn't right, go fight in a war, and then he can't work at GM. 
he's just miserable the rest of his life because he just couldn't see any. Someone stole what he thought it was his birthright. Hmm. It's a you know the kind of privilege that people are so angry because they won't stop and think that there are other ways to fulfill yourself. But it's more important to have a cabin and a snowmobile and a new shotgun in Alpena. <laughs> Whoa, wow. I did not expect that reference because guess where I'm from? Alpena, huh? Yes, I am. <laughs> or Atlanta. <laughs> Al- Alpena, Michigan. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, we all... In, when, in, around that side of the state, we're like Tawas, Alpena. And, yeah. right? and this side of the state, they... They dress nice and get new bathing suits for the beach. Over there, there's beer cans on the beach. Those are my people. (laughs) Alpena has become better over the past decade, but that again, that's because the city finally decided, oh, hey, uh, maybe we should invest in some things. Maybe we... (laughs) Shipwreck tours? (laughs) Yeah, maybe we should consider ourselves a retirement town. Oh. That's been like the big thing when I was growing up. Alpena's a retirement town. No, we're not going to build up this beach area. No, we're not going to put in this new rec center. Retirement town. So during the summer, the snowbirds are up there, or are they staying there year-round to enjoy the ice? Oh, they go up there with both seasons. Okay. But it's just one of those things where, like, it's like, oh, come on. Like, like, I literally thought this because, uh, I consider myself just a socialist now, but I did use to consider myself a hardcore anarchist at the time. Uh-huh. And I still very much like and respect anarchists. I just have some slightly different views now. Yeah. But uh, I remember thinking that up in Alpena when I was talking to a friend about politics. I just told him, like, yeah, I'm an anarchist and all, but you know what? Alpena could use some capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> well... You know, there's something to be said for free markets. It's whether or not you join them voluntarily. And without being able to voluntarily associate or disassociate with a type of economics just makes you sort of a a servant to a system that needs to protect itself. Oh, yeah, totally. But, uh, okay, so uh, we did talk about, like, corporate farms and factory farm there for a sec i've worked on those oh oh you did yeah i've I've milked cows for other people before and i've uh been the calf birthing person at another farm over on over on here has it affected this farm at all oh yeah yeah i learned what feeding silage and corn does to a cow's digestive system Hmm. i'll show you when we get out there what a healthy cow shit looks like Thank as a, you. <laughs> as opposed to the liquid that's like two inches deep on the floor and they got to push it into a drainage. That will make and that's my, all because that, of diet. That will make my Saturday good, sir. Well, you, I saw I saw a pie out there that it's probably much larger than a bowling ball. Yeah. Really? I can't wait to show you. Like, like the cow pooped out something that big. It that big. It, it didn't just build up. Bye it's home. just one one piece of shit. I don't know how it, how that cow did it, but I'll show you. Jesus. <laughs> I was milking this morning and I said, damn. <laughs> I ain't never seen no shit like that. <laughs> and to think, us humans make a big deal about if we 
put out a big log. <laughs> right? We take selfies of <laughs> Honey, come see. Hey. <laughs> Honey, come see. We're gonna put this on Instagram. Yeah. My wife anytime I say that, my wife knows better. Oh jeez. Okay, so okay, so we you never like dealt with like big bad corporations like Monsanto, for example? Yeah. I, oh, I, I didn't deal with them. But you have to use them to if you're going to straight line farm mm -hmm. for feed crops or anything, you have to use Monsanto because all, all the seed is Roundup ready. And if you use another seed, it's likely that they're still paying some patent price to Monsanto. Uh, but you got to buy new seed every year. And you gotta buy right. So Monsanto sprays the type of Roundup for that year, mm. and they lay that down first, and then all the seeds are able to survive the chemical. No other, nothing else will grow. Just their genetically altered seeds, which will produce corn or wheat or whatever, uh, because it survives the poison. Hmm. It's gen <laughs> seeds genetically. Right. Would you consider that a yay or a nay? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's worse is that's why people, uh, you see John Deere's everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's because deers are best with their GPS. They work the best for farming in straight lines. I don't know whoever thought farming was about straight lines. I don't know when that happened. But everything is perfect. And the big, the huge investment that farmers put into buying farming equipment is just remarkable. And the only thing that's holding them up is, is their land is worth something. Um, and the problem is, you know, working around there, I don't know what the rate of cancer is for people who are just milkers or living on that environment. But if Monsanto sprayed on a, a, a Roundup on every field and they sell that to developers, well, you're raising your kids on fields that are full of poison. And they have been for 30-something years. And what people don't realize is that, like when we were in Ohio, we lived in farm, in, in, on a farm, piece of farm, and our young son, he was two at the time, had elevated levels of lead. And they said, where do you live? I said, well, we live up, you know, uh, we live on an old farm. So there was lead fuel all over the place. There's lead from farming implements, but you know what? All the lead from the exhaust on the freeway that our house was next to and the lead they used in the paint, that all collected and it just, it just stays there. So we consume, just because we use leaded gasoline so much, hmm. lead pipes and everything. Yeah. And so I wonder why we're all angry and always not able to think things through and always reacting. We have no idea, actually, what lead has done to the human capacity, right, to, to have a more balanced existence. <laughs> actually, uh, there is a uh, theory for one of my favorite podcasts called Last Podcast on the Left. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you heard of it. I used to listen to them when they first, yeah. Oh, they're still going. Yeah. Yeah, uh, they have a theory that the 70s and 80s were so violent, especially with, like, serial killers. Uh-huh. It was because all those, uh, all those uh, monsters 
were basically raised on lead. Lead. And that gave lead them more pain. violent impulses. Yeah, yeah lead you, pain, you lead eat, Kids put it in their mouth, everything. I mean, but then, what did it do to us? Yeah, but then once, you know, they started, we started realizing, hey, this is bad. We shouldn't do, we shouldn't use it anymore. Then they finally started getting rid of a good right. amount of it. And now you don't have as much. But see, like I said, it's still, if you live off the road and you've got kids playing in the yard, right? Just everything on the, the sides of the road, um, the paint still has yeah. lead in it. Oh, yeah. We still have problems. But, yeah. it's, but it's more like, you know, insane Trumper telling you that yeah. windmills cause cancer, not, you know, <laughs> ultra-violent right. Jack the Ripper types. Well, I, yeah, people will use Roundup like, but like with their hand in a sprayer for their gardens, and it's like, I'll give you fifty bucks not to use Roundup. They'll look at me like I'm crazy. You know, that's money. It's just money, man. I'm talking about you. Something happening to you because you're using this Roundup. You go away from me, man. You don't know what you're talking about. Okay. No, actually, now that I think about it, I'm. I wouldn't be surprised if like Monsanto, because my big problem with them is. The fact that they copyright their mm -hmm. seeds and shit, mm -hmm. then they sue you over it. Yeah, you, know, you would think that if you spray enough for using last year's seed, yeah, you know, like if you spray enough of your land with their stuff, couldn't they do some roundabout thinking like, well, you know, it used to be your land, but mm -hmm. you've used enough of our spray that, you know, technically it's our land. It's buy one get one. Yeah, <laughs> buy nine seasons, you, get the tenth free. You've made it our land over the years. <laughs> And it, yeah, and then John Deere, their parts have always been different sizes, like a yeah. little bit off from standard uh, tractor sizes or farm implements. And so now they're making them so you can't work on them yourself. You need special tools. Yeah, so there... you got to take them back to John Deere. Yeah. And they're doing the electronics as such that, right, it's impossible for anyone that's not familiar with the John Deere design. Yeah, isn't there a, I don't know if it's this state, but isn't there some states where they're trying to pass laws to basically give you the right to repair your own equipment? Maybe. Now, isn't that the fucking stupidest thing you ever heard, that I got a right to fix my own? Who would even challenge that? Right? Yep. How do you need the state to protect you from working on your own shit? That's just the dumbest fucking thing I ever heard. <laughs> yeah. See, rights are just made up things that allow the state to have some control over you because they give them and they take them away. Yeah. Do you uh, have any John Deere equipment around here? I got a mower out there that doesn't work. Uh, we were going to fix it, and I let a kid get at it so he could learn how to do something. Sounds like you need to take I don't it think in it's to gonna be repaired. <laughs> I, I might just sell that shit for parts. Well, there you go. But we got an old Ford uh, N8, two Ford N8s uh, from 56, and we're trying to find the money to buy a $1,500 tractor that is an old John Deere made in 1964. Oh, you did? I, I did see that on the on the yeah. Farms Go Fund yeah. page. One of the main things that you're yeah. looking to buy. So it's one of those things where uh, two guys that commit to the farm can teach some, some uh, kids who want to be into mechanics or have their own implements how to fix them all right so final question on this on this part of the interview uh 
What are the future plans for this uh, project? Um, well, we're hoping to raise, somehow raise enough money or get to a place where um, we can start up a midwifery uh, birthing house and midwifery school or education component. And so we would like more land with a house ready for that so that um, the midwifery and the farming are attractive to people who want to learn all the skills and not want to have to take out loans or anything like that. It's just sort of contributing to the community and getting your education. And we don't really expect much from people. Mm. And we the only time we get... The only time we set boundaries is like either when people are unkind to others or they won't control their kids. Because hmm. we love kids. But one kid coming yes, in... Please and, control them. Yeah. Because yeah. like, if you don't, I, I'm going to. And like you're just not going to feel comfortable coming over here. So let's all figure out what we can do so your children respect everything else around here. Even the chickens. Yeah, please do do not let your kids scream at the chickens. People spaces, right? Kids like to invade spaces, and it's okay if I know them. I don't mind if they go into the room, but if I don't know these kids and I don't trust them, uh, and I don't know what they're gonna do, I, right? I don't. They don't need to be in other people's rooms. All right, and uh, and for current things going on, people can go to the projects gofundme page mm -hmm. yep. yep sand hill project and we got a facebook site and if i scrape together enough money i'll probably put the website back up so oh, yeah actually you do have your official website just for you personally yeah yeah is that still up yeah it is i'll be damned yep. <laughs> yeah i was on it last night i haven't I uploaded anything on there in quite a while Yep, still a lot going. of my writing is on there. A lot, some of my academic work. Yep, yep, it's still on there. <laughs> All right, so uh, everyone should check out the farm's website. Check out his GoFundMe. But uh, let's get on to the next segment, shall we? Mm -hmm. It's about you, Scott. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know. Uh, I come all the way out here. Now it's time to talk about you. Okay. Yep. Uh, let's uh, get right into it. I do know. You I think we've been like Facebook friends for like two years now or something. What's that? Oh yeah, yeah, two about that. three years. Like I said, you know, I found it's when I started going. Uh, when I decided it was time for me to be a part of the punk scene again, and so we got we had mutual friends probably through that. Yeah, actually, I think I just discovered discovered you at the farm. Know, the farm, is, okay. Yeah, through the farm. Since, like I said, I do have an interested in you okay. know, farming and environmentalism okay and uh yeah i just really like the vibe that you gave off oh that, that thanks you still give off yeah thank you yeah so other uh, than that outbreak of swearing when i got mad at monsanto oh <laughs> uh actually i i shall confess to you right now uh, <laughs> i actually kind of held back a little bit on my swearing because uh, you're a quaker right and i didn't know how much of it if I like went all out like I usually do on my shows, if it would offend you or anything. No, people get to say what they need to say. Okay. Self-expression is important. 
okay. right? As long as you're not a racist, <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> right? God, no, or no sexist, right? Sexism and stuff like that. I mean, if you need to, I express myself with cuss words quite quite often. Oh, same here. Quite to, often. Total potty mouth. Um, yeah, and you know it bothers a lot of other friends, but. When I speak that way, it gives me a little more credibility with the people that I enjoy being with. Because once you've got three master's degrees and are doing doctoral work, the middle class is just unrelatable. And I come from an impoverished background in the inner city. so yeah, That's my great fear. We would get like five instances in interview where I just say something like, Yeah, Scott, what the fuck is up with that? <laughs> just out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's... Uh, Getting some personal stuff, shall we? Okay. Yeah, so, uh, Scott, when and where were you born, and uh, what was your early life like? Flint, Michigan, in 1967. I grew up on the southwest side of Flint. My dad went to Southwestern. Um, so right at the corner of Ballinger and Karana. And one of my earliest memories of Flint was the, were the, bus, the violence related to the busing um, when they were trying to bus kids to integrate schools um there was a a big there was a lot of trouble and a fire in front of the grocery store um on Karana and then I remember uh for some reason my parents were Lutherans and I got to go to a Lutheran school kindergarten and first grade until they pulled me out and uh it was during those busing difficulties that we used to always interact and play with the public school kids on their playground that we shared with them and they were all african-american and we were entirely european of european descent but everything was cool and we just played together during recesses no one ever said anything and then one day they just started throwing rocks and so what did the parochial school do they just locked the gate. I mean, that just makes everything worse. Like, we'll just shut you out. And so those are two big memories of Flint, other than I got my first B&E when I was eight. B&E? Breaking and entering. Oh, okay. Yeah, come on now. <laughs> Normal partial. <huh? laughs> I ain't no good, dog. <laughs> uh, that was a two, good two shoes growing up. <laughs> Or more so afraid my dad would beat the shit out right. of me if I did anything bad. So, also it was Alpina, so vastly different than Flint. Right. Yeah. So, uh, oh, okay, so you weren't uh, born into the Quaker faith. No. Uh, Jen and I joined friends about 24 years ago. She was CRC, and I was an atheist for the longest time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, how did you uh, come to it? Well, I had some sort of spiritual events that could only be, you know, as far as my language allows me to go with understanding and with my life experience, I could only describe them as spiritual experiences. And whatever that means, for me, it, it was, it meant, okay, so... What do I do about spirituality? What sort of what myth do I become responsible to? And I, after thinking about it, I was born in a very liturgical Lutheran church, 
and um, they were entirely segregated and never did a damn thing and uh, for the community. And I became an atheist first because when I was hanging out with the Marxists and Maoists in Detroit, they are like, what has the church ever really done for justice? But So... Uh, Yeah, I grew up Lutheran, and and when I came back, after understanding that I had spiritual experiences, I felt, first of all, my source of knowledge is based in the Judeo-Christian text, and that the, Judeo, that the Christian church has been the most racist entity in the world, uh, at least the European church, and then the, the states. And so I have to be accountable to that history because I benefited from that history. Um, so it's not as though I think I'm going to die and go be resurrected and go to heaven. That's a story, and I understand that. But uh, there is a, cer a certain responsibility we have to the myths that benefited us, the myth of white supremacy, the myth of a white Jesus um, the myth that, of blood, land, and language, right? Mm. And, and the Christian church is really deeply bought into all of that nationalist myth. And that's really apparent now, but see, it always had. And uh, so I felt I need to be accountable to that too. Mm. How do you hold people accountable? It's by speaking, using the same discourse uh, of mutual understanding to to arrive at some different conclusions. Hmm. Oh wow! <laughs> I, I'm a theologian. <laughs> Sorry. No. And ninthly, <laughs> no, no, I always. One of my favorite parts of this podcast is getting into deep conversations with my guests mm -hmm. to the point where, like, afterwards, like, wow. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing that suggests that the God of the Bible or Quran is even possibly a real thing. But if uh, the cosmos can create human beings, the cosmos can certainly create something that's Right, hey. it has the capability of constructing whatever it can. Creating is something that all of nature does at some point. Hey, anything's possible, right? I'm not going to look good anytime soon, I'll tell you that. <laughs> mm. I don't think any of us are looking good right now. Especially this year, 2024. Oof. It... Even in 2023, I could tell this is going to be a bad year. We are a lost people. We are an empty people. We are, we are soulless. Hmm. Well, speaking of things that have souls, though, uh, you already, we already mentioned a little bit. Oh, you like that transition? You find that for me. <laughs> well, okay, not people, but things that could okay. possibly consider having a soul. Soulful. Stuff yes. that could make you think you have a soul. Yeah. Give you enjoyment, give you mm -hmm. a mission in life. Uh, aside from, uh, you know, obviously your faith as a Quaker mm -hmm. and the Sandhill Project, what are some of your other interests or hobbies? Um, I write. Uh, and 
I like Tiger B- Detroit baseball. I used to live just a few blocks from the old stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big Michigan football fan, though. I think I'm after this year. I think I'm I'm good on that. Uh, do you watch the Lions at all this year? I, this is the first year I've watched them in several years because my dad died, oh. and he was a big Lions fan. And every year he was going to say. They're going to be a good team, and I just shake my head, and right? And so he died just before the season started, and Oof. he missed it. So, so close. Okay, not your dad, but the team. But <laughs> so close, but so so close yet so far. Yeah. You know, so, I, was really, I was really thinking they're going to make the Super Bowl this year. I almost did. I also like to do uh, FM radio or exercises in uh, free speech. Uh, free expression, um, and I like spending time with my wife. Hmm. All right, and uh, fuck well, them kids, but my wife's all right. <laughs> okay, this podcast endorses a lot of things, but not <laughs> <laughs> not neglecting the kids, huh? <laughs> Scott Miller's kids. This podcast is not against you. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, so honestly, you know, you have your website, which we I have confirmed last night is still up. Yeah, I haven't even looked at it in like two years. <laughs> it's still up there, dude. That's how, how I made up a lot of these questions. You know. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, uh, dude, you have quite a resume, both job and education-wise. Yeah. Like, how many uh, degrees do you have? I've got three graduate degrees and... I was halfway through one at Chicago Theological Seminary for uh, cultural criticism, and it got too expensive, and I couldn't, right, when it comes to spending money, I should feed people, not hmm. not spend it on an education. But I like education, so I'll probably get rejected, but I just applied last fall for the Michigan University of Michigan American Culture PhD, and I should find out about that next week. Um, that's usually when they send out rejections or acceptance. And uh, the nice thing is they got a stipend that wasn't available to me at, at CTS. But I've tried to do doctor work, and costs have always got in the way. So, hmm. all right. So, uh, so besides farmer and substance abuse counselor. Uh, what other occupations have you worked throughout your life? Hmm. Baseball umpire when I was a kid in a paper route. And then lifeguard at a city swimming pool. And roofing in the summer because every kid should either roof or bale hay. And let's see, then I started like working at clothing stores because I could meet more women that way by faking an English accent. (laughs) Then I worked at service merchandise selling audio equipment. Then I left home and worked at Chung's Restaurant, Keys Group, Burger King. And uh, then I got a real good gig at St. Andrew's Hall that I kept on and off for a couple years. Really? Uh Uh-huh. So I was there helping build the shelter. Um, and worked at St. Andrews, saw a lot of great bands. Oh, uh, man, uh, when was this? Uh, it was uh, 1985 through 92 punk scene in Detroit. Uh, so I was an old Miami uh, 
you know, regular Temple Bar. I, I bartended at the Temple Bar. Man, uh, what were some of the bands you've seen during that time? Oh, I can, I can tell you, I saw the first Guar show in Detroit, <laughs> oh, and there was oh, only shit. about seven people at Blondie's, and so we made sure to get them in at St. Andrew's after that. We, a uh, buddy and I just begged to get Guar. Um, and then, I, I mean, Fishbone was a real good band to see there. Mud Honey. Um, Mud Honey is probably one of my favorite hmm. favorite acts. I like their music and I, it resonates with me. But I can't, you know, quite honestly, I've seen anyone that, because if it was a big night, I would work as a bar back and get tips. And if it was a slow, band, slow night, um, I think... Mr. Bungle, who just did a big show in Detroit, like 25 years ago, they played St. Andrews, and no one expected anyone to be there, and no one was, and I bartended that night. So, so I've you, seen all these bands when they could when they would draw less than 500 people, and often only 50, you know. Right, so this was the late 80s, you said? Mm -hmm. And early 90s, yeah. Oh, shit, uh... Okay, I, I'm such a nerd, so I'm bringing this up, but uh, Violent J of Insane Clown Posse, before, ah, before, yeah. before uh, they became big, mm -hmm. he worked at St. Andrews. Yeah. Yeah, I just started thinking like, wait, did you encounter Violent J back right, then? Right, bouncing. Yeah, he was a bouncer back yep. then. And yeah. he actually said he learned a lot about showmanship back then. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. he would see big bands like Nirvana up there. Uh-huh. But then he would see like, Really crappy rip-off ones that just didn't have it. Like, uh, where's Cement Block? Thanks for coming out. <laughs> <laughs> like the almighty lumberjacks of death. Oh, that's Terrible a musicians, but fantastic <laughs> <Great> showmanship. <laughs> they were a punk band, right? There used to be this thing off stage, uh, stage right uh, at St. Andrews. And it said, it's not good enough to be loud. You've got to suck, too. Hmm. And I've just, so now every band that I've been a part of, I always remind us that, you know, we're never going to be rock stars. Let's just have fun. <laughs> oh, I'm 56 man. now. I ain't going to be no rock star. My wife goes to my shows. Hey, it's nice to have support. She sits on, on the bass drum when I sing Iggy Pop songs. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh. See yes. Loser Candy coming near you someday. Uh, we will talk about that, actually. <laughs> but, um, okay, Scott, so, like, of all the occupations you've had in your uh, life so far, uh, what are the ones that you considered had, like, the most impact on you or your view of life? Teaching. Teaching? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you were a professor. For, mm -hmm. uh, how many uh, How many? Four years at Kuiper College, and then I did a year at... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, Earlham School of Religion, and I did my student teaching at Indiana University East, which was a satellite school of Indiana University in Richmond, where my my uh, where Earlham is. Hmm. So I've I've done that. All right, and you still want to do that in the future? I educate right now as a substance abuse counselor. I do a lot of didactic groups that are okay. Um, pretty popular, and I treat everyone that comes in there like first-year college student. It's all in presentation. 
there's themes that people can't understand just because we won't allow certain kinds of language or discourse in a classroom because of some professional. And people learn a lot better. They will even listen closer if you just let cuss words fly every once in a while because they think he's like me. He's not expecting, right? I don't need to meet his expectations. He'll let me have my own. And I can ask a question. Yeah, yeah, brother, I don't think you would survive in Florida with that kind of outlook. (laughs) Don't want to go to Florida. Oh, no. Who in their right mind would? But no, there there was baseball down there once. Oh, there is a funny thing, though, uh, about their book banning policies. Mm -hmm. They're so stringent that uh, Bill O'Reilly, remember that guy? Yeah, they banned some of his books. And he's pissed about that. Even though he promotes that stuff all the time. Like, oh, I'm sorry, Bill, they banned your political thriller that had a... (laughs) This is true, by the way. His first book was like a political thriller about an on-air journalist that basically decides to start killing his co-workers because he hates them. It must have been during his early Fox years. <laughs> oh, is he even before that? Oh. You know, it's not all He's bi- just always been a dick. Yep, not all biographical at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right, so uh, let's get into, like, the real... This is going to be a real fun conversation here. Um, po- politically, uh, what do you believe in and do you align with certain groups or organizations or parties? Nope. Nope, not at all? Nope. Just straight up anarchist. I often I often cast a ballot, but not for myself. I've had really good conversations about how it's actually a matter of white privilege to have the luxury to not vote when other people need that vote to fight back against white supremacy. So after having those conversations and listening really closely, I, I thought, you know, that's not asking me a lot mm-hmm. to, to cast a vote. It, it's as legitimate as anybody else's. I don't think it's going to work. On the other hand, there are people who are really invested, and um, I want them to believe that they can at least count on me for some things, because the last thing uh, most African-Americans ever see is the back of some white guy leaving. <laughs> and so, but uh, parties, no, I've gotten to arguments with plenty of Quakers about whether there's a difference between Democrats and Republicans, and I think there is. I'm just not a Democrat. Uh, I don't want the state coercing people into anything, not even into being more liberal, not even into... There are consequences for people's actions, right? You don't have to outlaw patriarchy to see that the loneliest people in the world are these white guys in their 50s and 60s who are so mad that no one wants to be with them anymore. They just keep their distance. There are consequences for being an asshole. (laughs) You know? Um, so, yeah, but, uh, I used, to uh, be part of the fifth, uh, fifth estate, uh, oh, anarchist the ma- collective. The magazine. Yeah. Oh, wow. Back in Detroit. Um, 
And I also had numerous friends in the RCP USA, uh, which were Maoists. Um, well, yeah, very quickly, Fifth Estate. I'm mm-hmm. probably screwing up this guy's name, but there's a writer there that actually was an anarchist, and uh, he was a teacher at WMU for a while. Mm-hmm. Freddie Perlman, I believe. Yeah. His name was. Yeah. Do you know him? No. Oh, okay. It might have been it might have been David Watson writing under, but he, you say his real name was Freddie Perlman. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, I believe that okay. was his name. Yeah, uh, put out. I don't remember meeting him because I usually worked with uh, the radio collectives and affinity groups. Okay, and yeah, he, put, um, he put out a really great book that I read way back when I was a college student at WMU called Letters of Insurgents. Okay, it was really legit, big book. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I mostly was friends with the Franklins and Peter Werby, uh, um, I think his name is Manus now, Hmm. um, back in the late 80s when they were building the trash incinerator, her name was Marie Mason, Hmm. uh, was close with her for a while, uh, Sunfrog, him and I are still close and in contact. Sunfrog? Andy Smith, Andrew Smith, Andy Smith. That's quite a nickname. Sunfrog. I called him Moontoad. But that kind of fell apart. You know, there's an interesting story to my anarchism is I may be the only person in this state that's ever been asked to kind of not hang out with the anarchists by the anarchists. Because I was smoking so much crack and always so drunk. And there was one day that uh, a couple of friends of mine were getting rousted by... Uh, I don't know if he was a state police because the Detroit police, I don't know. Anyway, he left his window down and I saw him rousting my buddies outside of the the market next door to the Fifth Estate building. Mm-hmm. And I was mad and drunk, so I just pissed all over the front seat through the window. Very nice. Don't forget I'm going to show you that cow turd. <laughs> I'm looking forward. So I've I've changed a lot since then, and I don't necessarily, you know, people will choose um, hmm. to defend themselves or even take the offensive on, on their own terms, and I'm fine with that. Um, but I don't necessarily think anarchy is has to be expressed through violence or um, even appropriate measures of. I wouldn't call it terrorism, but economic, like creating economic damage to the state. I just don't think it's very productive, and I don't think it's me. Oh, no, that's that's actually more of the stereotype of anarchism. It is. Most anarchists just want to be left alone uh, or in their own group. Well, as Mikhail Bakunin, one of the great founding philosophers of anarchism, said, you know, big rival Karl Marx. (laughs) Yeah, he just says straight up that anarchism is stateless socialism. Mm-hmm. So I kind of always kept that in mind. We used to make fun of the Maoists, remember when, um, well, we wouldn't remember, but Mao swang, swam across the river to show that he was still physically fit for continuing resolution, yeah. or revolution. And so the Fifth Estate had this drawing of, of Mao in an inner tube. <laughs> like... Kicking himself over to the other side, and it said, "Workers of the world, relax." Nice. 
Well, he's mostly, well, Mao these days, at least in the U.S., is uh, pretty good for anti-landlord memes. He, Mao, Mao is, is, was a terrorist. He was a killer. And his investment in Marxist-Leninism combined with uh, his willingness to lead peasants towards violence against their own people is... You know, people forget that Marxism mandates a dictatorship of the proletariat, and I don't want them motherfuckers running yeah, my life either. Yeah, I like Marx, but even I'm like, oh, you could have worded that a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> my, Karl Marx never met a person he didn't want to put back to work. <laughs> All right. All right. Ooh. Actually, uh, well, before we begin the final part here, I should probably change the battery in this recorder because it is about to die. Okay. All right, folks, uh, we will be right back. And we are back, folks. Uh, took a little break there because I had to change the battery. And uh, Scott here gave me a wonderful little tour of the farm. I have to say, dude, uh, your animals are very energetic. <laughs> I don't think that one turkey really likes me. And, yeah, you weren't kidding about that turd out there. <laughs> it, it, it's sizable. Yeah, matter of fact, folks, uh, just as we were talking about the cows, they gave me the honor of taking a dump right in front of me. <laughs> now that, my, that, folks, is how you do hospitality for me. <laughs> All right, Scott, uh, let's get on to the last part, and uh, we're going to talk about music scenes a little bit. Okay. That's our way that I know you. Besides Facebook and, you know, the farm and Quakerism is your involvement in the local music scenes in Grand Rapids and Kalamazoo. Mm -hmm. And uh, as we talked before, even beforehand. So, uh, yeah, you seem to have quite a love for it, as I noticed. Well, I was part of the punk scene in Detroit, down living in the Cass Corridor. Um, there was a... What was called, I guess, the Punk House Six Five Five, on uh, Alexandrine in in the Cass Corridor. We lived uh, on Palmer for a while, which was um, I forget what the name of the folk singer is, but she had lived in that apartment. At any rate, I was a big part of the punk scene and hung around with a band called Forced Anger. And then uh, I was friends with the Slaughterhouse Gang and, and stuff like that. And, uh, and then my drinking and, and uh, drug use got so bad that I just wasn't welcome anywhere. And I kind of left. Um, most people thought I was dead, most of my friends in Detroit. And, you know, people pop up on Facebook now like, wow, you're alive? But uh, I had I quit going to shows just because, you know, I used to drink a lot and stuff like that. And I was always wondering, like, first of all, should I be going to shows like that? But second, I, I mean, I was a husband and a parent and working. And so finally, uh, I took my, I wanted my kids to see what a punk show was like. And I figured I'd take kids... They're all adults now, and and see if they like it. So we went and saw Mooch Globe, uh, and I was like, "Wow, I really miss this." And we went. I went down first to see Tommy Scott's band, um, Harry Queen, and he plays on State too. And so that's how 
I learned about that place and first saw Mooch Globe. So then I took my kids to see Mooch Globe after that. Um, but it turns out I've got uh, Scott introduced me to a bunch of guys in Kalamazoo, uh, the Elder Gods, and um, through them I met a couple other bands. And so we've been real active uh, there um, doing shows and now the, the uh, non-profit to help young musicians or artists, just art, art in general, uh, not only learn to be musicians, but learn how to do soundboard, lighting, and stuff like that, so that, you know, we have qualified local people that that are available to help different venues, especially for house shows and stuff like that, because the Kalamazoo house show uh, scene is, is pretty lively. Oh, it is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, I, was, yeah I lived there from 2009 to 2012. Okay. And, uh, uh, and my last year there, I was part of a house venue. We call ourselves the Black Lodge. Okay. But then I moved away to Grand Rapids, and it was that kind of started tapering off there. Then the pandemic hit, and that just pretty much wiped that out. Right. And now it's back, and uh, the only venue that I, the only house venue that I know of is the Runoff, I believe it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, I haven't had any uh, contact with it. Okay. So I just got other stuff going it's, on. It's funny about the runoff is over the summer before I had to work full time, I was there every weekend and uh and made some friends through the runoff too. Uh and I really like Bronson Arm. That's a band that oh, yeah. I want to promote. Uh at any rate, I was at one of their shows and I saw this band Loser Candy and they were so much fun. I mean, so much energy, so much fun that I was like, this is the best show. I, I mean, musically, eh, okay. Um, but they used a drum machine. They didn't even have a drummer. And so I was like, man, these guys are great. I'm going to try and be a part of that band. So we went to their next show at a house show, and I asked them if I could, because they didn't have a drummer, they had a drum machine, I asked if I could read philosophy books sitting where the drummer usually sits. I said, yeah, sure. So I put on my Quaker hat and right, and my frock coat, and I'm sitting there reading philosophy books and giving people mean religious people looks. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> the one band that I noticed on social media that you are particularly close to. Uh, well, I'm in it now. Oh, oh, there you go. You can't so, get closer. Now I, I, well, I am a, uh, the percussion dissonance expert. So I've got a bass drum and a snare that I play sometimes. I use a cow's jaw bone and another bone. Uh, just anything like I, I think. Cowbell? Yes, I do have a cowbell. And often we need more cowbell. Um, I knew I knew one of us would insert the SNL. <laughs> so they and they wrote a song. One of their originals is about uh, Son of Sam. And so I've got an old uh, pellet air gun that I use and unload it, and I use that as a drumstick. Or so uh, something how, like that. Yeah, so how would you describe the music of Loser Candy? Hillbilly, trailer, trash, punk. All right. And uh, 
There's honestly a lot of performance. Performance are part of it. It's all performance. Oh, okay. I, I actually have a cow's head that I carried around during one of the songs. Yeah, I did see the one video that you have where uh, when they were playing, you were going around with a bowl of cereal and uh, right. feeding people. Yeah, the Lucky Charms. That spoonful, and I was doing the Lucky Charms communion. Which is funny, because I only brought one spoon. Yeah. And they were all hippies, and no one thought to bring food to the event. Yeah. So they were like, ooh. <laughs> I hope nobody got, like, I don't know, yes. hepatitis B or anything. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. I've, I mean, when I lived there, we shared beer and bowls <laughs> and shit all the time. And maybe you'll get, like, a the flu or strep throat or something. <laughs> so I often throw candy and condoms out to the crowd. Um, and, uh, one, one time I did a strip show down in my drawers, right, with all yeah. the full Quaker regalia and then one by one. And Iggy Pop, I smashed the TV with a cow femur and cut myself. And so I did this vicious thing and I was bleeding through the whole show from my finger. Oh, okay. I'll have to find a picture. That was a class. People still talk about that. Well, it could have been worse. You literally could have gone the Iggy Pop route and just cut up your entire chest. No. To the point where, like, <laughs> your famous friend Al Alice Cooper has to, like, no. wrap you in a towel. I do, during Iggy Pop songs, make peanut butter sandwiches for yeah. Ben the vocal or uh, Ben the Vocalist. Yeah, dude. He's still going, too. He's still putting out music and performing. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of amazing, because uh, if you write up his life... I love... <laughs> I love to perform, man. That's that's, that's uh, a lot of fun for me. Yeah, uh, yeah. did you uh, perform originally back when uh, you were part of the punk scenes in Detroit? Part of a band called uh, Murder City Punks and messed around with a few others, but uh, I, I just do heavy in the drug scene and mm. didn't have time to come into practice or anything. Uh so I had it in me, and I had been like a stand-in with a bunch of bands, like, you know, cameo appearances on something. But for the most part, I was just hanging out, promoting shows that didn't make any money. and hmm. Yep. Honestly, that's kind of the way it is with a indie punk and, shows. <laughs> You're really not going to make money. Yeah. Outside of, like... If you sell an album or two, or donations, if you're like a touring band. The ease of which people can put out recorded music now, studio recorded music, is amazing. Um, it, it was really a lot of work just to get studio space to do that for a punk band in Detroit back in the day. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, even I, with my music project, Neil B. Glory, all I did was basically record it in my room off of... This and similar <laughs> mics. All right. Yeah, Henry Rollins talked about that one time. One of his, uh, they did an interview with him years ago, where uh, <clears throat> yeah, this was like in the two thousands, I think, like you know when they're dealing with Napster and the RIAA. Right. Yeah. And he was about just file sharing, music sharing in general. He was all for it, uh -huh. particularly because he's like, you know, the kids these days they. Do not give a fuck. You know, they will record record it, put it out on their own labels or 
or well, this was before Bandcamp and whatnot. Now, uh-huh. even then, it was like, okay, you get it this way. No, no, we don't want to sign this major label. No, we, <laughs> no, right. we don't want to be Rolling Stone. That's why. Right. So yeah, they're it's really good. I do enjoy it, particularly because I get my own work out of it. Hell, this podcast is more DIY. Right. I mean, do you lo- play any instruments? No, I do not. That's I've tried my best, but <laughs> I cannot learn it. Particularly acoustic guitar and harmonica, because uh, my two favorite musicians, top two, are Bob Dylan and Woody Guthrie. <laughs> and uh, went through a phase where I was like, I'm going to do that. I can, em- I can empathize. I'm the drummer for a band that uses a drum machine. <clears throat> oh. Oh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. <laughs> right. I just found a way to weasel myself into the phone. Actually, one of my favorite folk punk musicians is they, is he went by the name Pat the Bunny. Yeah, I oh, play. You, you heard for, Pat the Bunny. I I play him for my recovery groups. Uh, some oh, of his Johnny songs. Hobo. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure if you listen to it, he has used drum machines in there in his songs, like really obvious ones too. <laughs> but he's sadly retired now. But again, I don't blame him. <laughs> but actually, I do have a suggestion for you. Uh, you ever heard of a folk punk musician named Homeless Gospel Choir? Mm-mm. Oh man, look look them up. He All is, right. he is very awesome. talks uh, talks a lot about you know politics, social issues, Christianity a little bit. I don't know what his exact beliefs are, and of course a lot of uh, you know his inner feelings and his anxieties mm-hmm. and his issues. I mean, he's got a song straight up called "I'm Not Ashamed of What I Become." Yeah, so that's my suggestion to you, Scott Miller. Okay. Homeless Gospel Choir. Can't recommend them enough. I'll give them a listen. Thanks. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, you're in Loser Candy. Uh, what's the future with you guys now? Like, Oh, I don't know. I, um, I think one of the big goals is to put out a recording so we can go to a festival in Memphis. Other than that, I think we're kind of... We want to do some Detroit shows, but... Other than that, um, you know, it's been winter and we've only done it. We're doing a show on the 10th, and that'll be our first show since December 5th. Hmm. So we've taken quite a bit of winter off. Yeah, you guys going to be coming back to Grand Rapids at all? Invite us. I don't have, <laughs> I don't have those connections. Not anymore. Uh, I've been wanting to set something up with uh, the band Samaric. They've uh, got the maybe I've heard of them. But the um, she's uh, um, probably about five four with red hair and the lead singer, and she does grindcore, but mm-hmm. in the voice, and then she'll like sort of this melodic like uh, voice, like a little girl, and then she goes back into like grindcore. <laughs> And it's just amazing to watch her go back and forth. And uh, then they've got uh, a guy playing bass. Excuse me, a woman playing bass. Um, And she's, they're bass heavy. I mean, just bass heavy. I think it's just the bass and the drummer. And that I recommend anyone that's in the Grand Rapids area looking up Samaric and seeing them play. And then 
Right, uh, there's nobody better than Eric Eddy's bands, uh, the Ultraviolets and Mooch Globe. I mean, oh, yeah. I've heard you, both. you just can't beat that shit. They're fantastic. Very nice. All right, Scott, uh, that's the interview, dude. Oh, thanks. Yeah, uh, yeah, this was very, very much fun. A lot, <laughs> a lot more surprises than I expected. And the, what was surprising, other than everything being in disarray because we're switching rooms? No, but, no, not about that. <laughs> but, but that's a good thing because I always like talking to people and learning things about them that honestly I can't find on social media or your official website, which again is still up and running. Yeah. Which check it out. <laughs> yeah, there's a Gospel of the Absurd, right? Oh yeah, you do have that book out too. Yeah, yeah, I'm published God. by Whitfenstock. Gosh it's, darn, we didn't even get to that. <laughs> Book on care ethics. Um, Christ, uh, messianic care ethics, using a version of Carol Gilligan's uh, care ethics as informed by um, uh, African-American uh, female theologians. Oh, man. I screwed up because I didn't put that in the questions. You know, that's a big part of you, actually. The book. Bigger than most people realize. <sighs> Dude, I'm so uh, sorry. That's all right. <laughs> uh, you know what this means, right? No. We're going to have to do a future interview again. That means you'd have to make it all the way through that book. I'll do it, man. I'll do it. Uh, it's rough. I'll send you a PDF. Uh, I warn you, dude. I've... I've attempted to get through Fagin's Wake, and I got twenty. <laughs> I got through twenty pages of that bad boy before I came up. <laughs> if I could do twenty pages of Fagin's Wake, I could do anything. Let's have a a bow of uh, reading group. Oh, and House of Leaves, I did not get through that. <laughs> you want to have a gummo party so we can <laughs> do high criticism? I appreciate. I always appreciate meeting a fellow Harmony Korine fan. Uh. I'm not actually a fan of his, that, but that movie, uh, you know, because I'm a counselor, I look at it through vastly different lenses than most people. Oh, yeah, people. That, that's crazy. And those three girls are, right? It's a, Everything in it is a trigger to someone who ain't right. Well, yeah, that's... But if otherwise, those three girls are heroes. They're like anti-patriarchy. They take care of each other. They're very normal. They're not hypersexualized. They ignore hypersexualization, but they still have crushes, right? Oh, they, yeah. they still have, uh, right, they're still girls. Yeah, Green's kind of moved on over the years, but like his early aesthetics, like with Gummo and the movie I recommend to you, Trash Humpers. Oh, you will love that movie. Probably. But uh, yeah, a lot of it was, you know, you know, impoverished people, most of them taking place in the South. Uh -huh. A lot of them have. Yeah, mental, social, personal issues. Right. Aside from, like, the general weirdness of it all. <laughs> well, right, and I, I lived in Detroit for a number of years, so I've seen just about every yeah. crazy thing. Actually, uh, he put out a new movie recently with, um, I think it was ASAP Rocky, the famous rapper. Yeah. I forget what it's called, but get this, okay? It's about an assassin who's trying to, like, murder a demon lord like now but it's recorded in like night vision you know how like you, you <laughs> see night vision it's all like orange all and right. green. so the entire movie is like that 
at at the risk of sounding like really mainstream because i <laughs> i don't even go to movies but uh i do admit to having a, a liking for dogma i got oh, into a lot of trouble for showing oh. it at a methodist church oh, in kevin, the sanctuary it's kevin smith's best film that's a great film he also doesn't have the rights to it now because uh who's that who's that creep weinstein yeah, yeah. he owns the rights to it and uh Kevin Smith doesn't want to pay for it back because it's Harvey Weinstein. Weinstein. Right. So there's no better no better take than right than uh when he finds out that um Alice Morissette is is the deity. Is God. Is it, that's God. Jane, Jane Silent Bob are the like, prophets. Bitch is hot. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm sure '90s feminist alt rock icon. Right, some movies would don't. Appreciate that. Some some movies don't carry forward, like Monty Python. What was funny, like just hyper funny, back in the day. It's like mm, that's a step yeah. above Benny Hill sometimes. <laughs> oh, one more thing about the Harmony Korine film that I just mentioned. He premiered it at a uh, at a regular festival somewhere in Europe. But you know where he's releasing it now? Not in movie theaters. A strip club chain in California. Yeah, so you can only see this Carmi Corrine and ASAP Rocky film in this strip club in California. <laughs> that, my friend, is an auteur. Out on VHS soon. <laughs> Laserdisc. Right. Okay. All right, Scott. I believe we should end this interview. Uh, Thanks. It's yeah. good to meet you, Garrett. Fine. Yeah, man. It was really great meeting you. It was uh, great. It was, thank you for uh, allowing me to come here and showing off the farm. Very nice. You can come out and milk sometime. Actually, I might be getting some milk in a sec here, actually. <laughs> but we'll negotiate that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, promo time, Scott. Uh, where can people find out, find more about you and about the project? Well, I guess my website's still up. A lot of my writing is on there. And then Gospel of the Absurd is available uh, through Whitfenstock. And I'm positive it's through uh, that mass distribution organization that sends the blue trucks around everywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, then the Sandhill Project at gmail.com. And there's a Facebook, the Sandhill Project, too. Yep. And you got the GoFundMe going on? Yep. No one's donated it yet because I kind of take too much time promoting, or don't take enough time promoting it. Same. same. I'd rather take a nap. Absolutely the same. But, uh, yeah, yeah, we will have the links to all that in the description. As for me, folks, it's still the same. GarrettShalke.tumblr.com, official website. At GarrettShalke on Twitter. Uh cheeseburger blues podcast and the ryan my own podcast those are still going uh i should really create a link tree for all this stuff so <laughs> that'll do this week and uh oh and i guess good thing i remembered this uh of a little dedication here because unfortunately i learned yesterday that uh, uh wayne kramer oh. the mc5 he uh passed away at 75 uh detroit detroit rock icon Proto-punk icon. 
really great dude. I met I met him. Actually, I've seen him twice. I've seen the MC5 perform at 20 Mile Row Live. You know, the, or the MC5 tribute. Or now, you know concerts. Spaceman 3's song, Revolution, yeah. is nothing but the introduction of uh, Ramblin' Rose and oh, by really? the MC5. Somebody comes out on stage and does this thing about, like, gives a spiel about Revolution and then introduces the MC5. Well, Spaceman 3 took that introduction and made it into a song. There you go. Yeah, and uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Kramer in 2022. He was up in Traverse City at Horizon Books, signing his book, his uh, autobiography. So I so I met him and got his autograph, got a picture, and I recommended my favorite beach up there to him and his family, Hazaro Beach. Yeah, so rest in peace, Wayne Kramer. <laughs> I avoid Traverse City. But why? Too much money. Okay, it is pretty expensive there. That's, 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 that's bad. I love it, though, for various reasons. Okay. All right, folks. Uh, Cherry-flavored weed. <laughs> you know, I've never encountered that there, but it would not surprise me no, if I got that. No, it wouldn't surprise me. So, yeah. Thanks, Garrett. Yeah, thank you, Scott, for uh, talking with me today. Thank you, folks, for listening. Here is the outro song.